Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Saqqara life. Also, please note we are recording from our homes via Zoom, so please forgive us for any sound issues. When Lorea Gaston moved to Los Angeles from New York City, she was shocked by the extreme level of poverty she saw on the streets of downtown Los Angeles and immediately wanted to help. After spending time with people on Skid Row, Lorea felt a tug at her heart and knew this was her calling. She founded Lunch on Me which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to ending starvation while providing opportunities to enrich the mind, body, and spirit of LA and New York City's homeless community. Lunch on Me feeds and serves over 10,000 plus homeless individuals and families on a monthly basis. Lorea is shifting how we address the issues of homelessness and hunger in America through nourishment and self-care. Her latest initiative is Lorraine's Bodega, the first ever organic 99 cent store that's addressing food access for all. So I'm so excited to have Lorraine guest on on today. We are lucky enough to get to partner with her. We donate thousands of meals to her program called Lunch on Me. And she is a visionary founder that is really at the forefront of trying to change how we frame and look at individuals experiencing homelessness and what it means to really nourish the homeless community, that it can't just be about giving cheap extra food, but actually she holds the line and says, no, I'm going to give this community the same food that I want to eat. They deserve exactly what I have. And her story is incredibly moving and we're so grateful that we get to support her and her efforts here at Sakara. She's a truly selfless and inspiring person. She provides tens of thousands of meals per week for individuals experiencing homelessness in LA and New York City. And she has a lot to teach us all about how to move through this world with unconditional love and purpose. Please welcome Lorea Gaston. Hi, Lorea. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to finally even just meet you. You know, yeah, we've been working together. I know, ditto. I know, put a voice and a face. Well, the first question that we really like to get started with, and especially given you and and your work in the world, is around your mission. So what is your mission and why do you believe you were put on this earth? Like, what is the gift that you're giving? Oh my gosh. I feel like, well, for one, I feel like to make our mission one word, it's food is love. And I feel like that's where I come from. I think everything is all about love. And our mission is to give everyone access to nourishment. And I think that that act of love also empowers people. 
So I want to make healthy food accessible to everyone. I don't want it to be connected to the amount of money we make or a certain status or a certain demographic. I want all of us to have a chance to be nourished, mind, body, soul. And I think that that is where my gift is, is being able to see that there are people who need outside of my own needs and knowing that I can do something to contribute to people having access. And that has to do with our mission, holistic healing, mind, body, spirit, wellness for all. So good. And do you think that your personal mission is the same as your company mission or are they... Because I, I heard you kind of use we and then I. So do you think they're one and the same? Like your personal mission is the exact same as your business mission? A hundred percent. Yeah. Well, first I would say, yes, my mission, everything I do is connected to my purpose. I don't do anything that's not rooted in purpose, in intention. And I'd never even look to have a business in what I'm doing. I think that following my purpose pushed me in that space, but from the core of my expression, we as in it takes a village and team to man what our mission really is as a collective. So 100%, everything I'm doing, I'm walking in complete purpose. And I think that purpose really comes from love. How we decide to express that is our own mission, our own quiet decision. But for me, it's walking in love, being love and giving and service. And I think all of those things represent love and purpose. It's so beautiful. And I feel so similarly to you in that like food is love and love is food. And I personally felt that in, in having a transformation from food was the enemy for me for so long and then understanding that food is nourishment. So I'd love to start off. There's a lot that I wanted to talk to you about, but I'd love just because we have that common ground of, of food. And one of the things that I love that you talk about is this idea when you serve the community of people who happen to be homeless that you talk about, it's not just food. You throw parties, you create community. And one of the reasons we were so excited to support you is really because of that, because you can't just throw money at a problem. And so I'd love for you to talk about kind of how you use food as this catalyst for love and why you decided to start there. Well, the reason I even brought food is something that we all need to live and survive and sustain. And I think that sometimes we don't know the direct impact it has on us emotionally, psychologically. Food is deeper than we could ever imagine. And I feel like that's why I started with food, because at the end of the day, I couldn't solve every problem tomorrow. But I knew the problem that was in front of me that connected every single person was food and nourishment. And I felt like the most important thing I felt was to love with integrity. And I think that's connected to food. Our food has integrity. I'm not going to just give someone something I wouldn't eat. Oftentimes, just in the world, especially in the nonprofit area, you see the people are always given everything that's to be thrown away. There's no integrity in the food. There's no integrity in the plates. There's no love even put into it. And I think that's energy too. We put so much time and effort into making sure people have nourishment. And I think that the, the food is the first part. We can say we love and care so much, but if it's not showing up, if it's not tangible, you see our plates, you see the level of food that we give out, you can't even question us. I'm giving the same food that I eat. You know, I, I, and that's been my motto is, if I can't make a plate for myself or my friends and family, I'm not serving it. 
and my standards have always been high. So it's, it's not going to change because of a community. I don't think anyone's more deserving than anyone else. It's so important what you're saying because it's shining light on this idea of otherness. So this idea that there is a group of individuals that as long as they have food and have access to food, whatever the food is, like they should be grateful and move on. And it shows to me our lack of reverence and respect for exactly what you said when you started, which is how food really nourishes on a level that's so much more than just biological. And yes, certainly biological, but when you really think about the word nourishment, it's so much bigger than, than just the food on your plate. And so I love that your work speaks to the holistic perspective of what it means to take care of a human being and that you hold the same standards for yourself as you do for someone that might happen to be homeless. Can you speak to all that you do? Because there's a lot. You have your bodega and the parties, which looked amazing, and the meals. So can you, in your own words, because... I've already introduced you in your bio, but in your own words, like what is it all? Well, love without reason. So I feel like everything we do, that is the foundation, that is the umbrella. It comes from that space. Is it an, a loving act? And I'm really focused on radical philanthropy. I don't think anyone's meant to have a lot of money and hoard it. I believe when you have that type of gift of abundance, it's to distribute. I think that that is part of the gift. And whether it's ideas, whether it's finances, whether it's resources, it's to distribute. And so everything we focus on is being a distribution chain, distributing love, distributing wellness. In our radical programming, we have free yoga, Reiki, breathwork, all plant-based vegan food. We really focus on mind, body, spirit, wellness, because I do feel like health is wealth. And I do believe that's where it stems from, is our own wellness, our own centeredness. And I think that food contributes to so many other problems. A lot of it's such a root, just nutrients, nourishment. And that's our biggest focus. Our, our bodega was my first brick and mortar concept where I wanted to give everyone access to healthy food. If someone's living off of government assistance, they have $3 a day to eat with. And there's no way. Coming from a space where you understand food waste 40% of food never hits the table. So I, I didn't understand why people didn't understand why I decided to, to sell things for a dollar, basically just to keep the operation going where they had a place to do it. But the whole idea and concept was there's all of this food that should be distributed to people and there's integrity. There's people who want to be able to shop, want to normalize their circumstances and to create that space for them where everyone's welcome. And I think that's kind of the coolest part is our bodega has become more of, it feels like a community center and a healing space. They all call it the love vortex because you see every walk of life there, whether it's one of our sponsors, our donors, other CEOs, then you have our homeless community, our street fam. There's just this place, foster youth, they have a place to go. So it, it became a space where I just want to create safe spaces. A home isn't walls, but it's two eyes and a heart. And I realized that was the first safe space we were creating with seeing people and giving them a space to know that they're seen and they're loved and, and we would help them. And now I realize now because we've created that community, now they're coming into our bodega where it's another, it's a physical safe space. 
And it's about food. People get to leave happy. People get to leave with the, with access to food. If moms don't have money for food, we do so many IOUs, it's crazy. Like we literally have like little notepads with everyone. We're like, I won't turn anyone away if they need food. You don't have to have money to eat from our bodega. If you have it, great. If you have a donation towards what we're doing, cool. But if you don't, that's never going to stop me. We distribute 10,000 free meals a month. It's never going to stop me to make sure that everyone has food. And that's what I wanted people to see was this is the root. There are so many other problems, but this is a tangible problem that can be solved because it's not like there's famine. It's not like we don't have abundance, especially in America. Like I'm only stating where I live in my backyard is the fact that America, we can solve these problems. Just there weren't enough people that put time into solving them. Yeah. And it's also back to what we were talking about just before this. It's also about that lack of respect and reverence that we hold for our neighboring human, no matter their circumstances, is also reflective, not only in our lack of respect and reverence for our own bodies and our own health, like people that have means make terrible health choices. It also then trickles into, or maybe it starts there, but it's so much in policy too. You know, we get the question a lot of, well, why are your your meals so expensive? And it's like, you know, I believe that organic plant-based food is everyone's right. Unfortunately, I'm not in the place where I get to grow enough to feed everyone. So I have to pay what the farmers need to charge. And running an organic farm is incredibly expensive and it's less than 10% of farmland in general. And so I think that this idea of, you know, holding reverence for our own bodies and it will actually have intrinsic benefits in the system as a whole. And I think what you're doing is you're making it almost, it's easier to hold reverence or respect or have really high standards for someone else than ourselves. sounds like you've always had high standards on your food for yourself, but how did you get there? Was it by serving your community that then you were like, oh, I have to eat well, or where did it all start for you? I was 19 when I went plant-based. I'm 32 now. I became plant-based before it was even called that. I just was like, I eat vegetables. Yeah, same. <laughs> like it was, and that's what plant-based is to us too, you know? I mean, I'm such an old vegan that I'm like, I don't even eat fake meats. I'm like, no, I just want vegetables and sprouts. Well, for me, I was 19. I had thyroid issues. I grew up in a space where, of course, dieting, I had modeled since I was 12. Dieting was a thing. I was skinny and extremely unhealthy by 19. So... For me, it's just, I just had this, honestly, like the plant-based foods came from a meditation I was in. I was meditating and that was the answer I had gotten was me, me, just, just try plants. And I was like, okay, this is the weirdest, like it was a weird, like download I had gotten. I always call them downloads. I'd written it down. And then basically I went raw vegan for six months and my life changed. It was like in my, it was such clear like guidance of don't eat anything cooked over 113 degrees, reading about enzymes in food. I'm like 19 years old. Like just, I kind of went into this rabbit hole of just understanding health. Six months, I was the healthiest I'd ever been. I didn't have any thyroid episodes. My anemia had went away, like all these different things. By 19, I was on like 16 pills. So skinny, I looked physically fine. I didn't look like I needed anything, but just my organs, my everything else had been compromised at such a young age. And that's when I changed everything. And that was a moment where I realized like, wow, like nature has everything you need. You don't need to, like, I only take supplements. I don't take medicine at all. And I haven't since I was 19. 
So it's just been one of those things that it changed my life. I noticed like my temperament changed. I noticed not having just like meat and stuff and just the, the hormones that were put in it. And now obviously it's more commercialized. Like these are things I had to really research. Like I was really learning about it. I went to an ideologist. I started to learn about homeopathic, holistic ways of life, herbs that I could have that were kind of connected to like what uh, pharmaceutical medicines were. So I was kind of finding all this thing just about Eastern medicine. And I just, I learned so much about healthy food. I just changed everything. And that's how it started. So when I started Lunch on Me, I didn't even think about it. I know now it seems so progressive in a space that's like, oh my God, I can't believe you're an organization that's vegan plant-based food. I'm like, we've been doing that since I started. Like I've been feeding that to the homeless community since I was 19 years old. So this isn't anything new for me. It's new for the community. I feel like I've always been kind of ahead and progressive in that way. So it wasn't something I went into. It was just my standard had already been there because I'd already been exposed to my own wellness, my own healing before it was an industry. And then going into the community, there were so many people, like for a long time, I used to think every time I saw someone in a wheelchair, I thought they were veterans. I thought they had been in war. Like a lot of times that's what I thought. Come to find out they were diabetics. There were so many amputees and it was all correlated to food. And I feel like no one understood that. But most people still don't. It's crazy. And I think what's so interesting with, about that in reference to the work that you do is I'd, I'd love for you to you know, correct me in any way at any time, but also speak to the demographic that you serve and the misconceptions. If this is a misconception, please correct me. But I would guess that a lot of people that are dealing with homelessness are also dealing with mental disorders that could very well stem from their lack of nourishment and not having access to food. I mean, we know how the the gut relates to mental health and what we eat relates to mental health. So it's just crazy that we can be upset with people on the street with mental disorder and then not be giving them the food medicine that they need in order to reverse that. So what are some of those common misconceptions or even stereotypes that you see with the demo that you serve and and what can we all do to start to lift those? Well, one thing I would say is, yeah, there's so much ignorance around this group and demographic, I think the first thing that we have to take into consideration is people are in this environment because of the society we've created. So I think the biggest responsibility you have to take is people wouldn't be homeless without our infrastructure. We created this, this concept, we created this demographic and continue to create this space. So this completely has to do with our infrastructure, our foundation. And of course, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is psychosocial needs. So how can anyone be well without food, shelter, water? There's this slogan that, or people are always saying that they're hangry. You know, they're angry and hungry. Imagine going days without food. Imagine eating out of trash cans. Like there's so many things that we have to take into consideration that the people, I would say being in both sides of society, there are more people mentally unwell that are housed than there are unhoused. And I would say that because I feel like most people are unwell. If you compare environments, you compare access to things and our mental problems, they're more together than us. And a lot of times we look at them and we're like, but if we measure, they're without a home, they're without nourishment, they're unwell, they're displaced, and they still have the ability majority of them have the ability to be kind, gracious, loving, respectful, 
all these things that I think people don't understand. And unless you live in both worlds, you can't see the contrasting difference. But for me, they're more well than people that aren't. I feel like there's more things to address with privilege than there is with disparity. So beautifully said. I've read some of your stuff about privilege and and how you believe we can combat privilege. Can you speak to that? Yes. I think that for one, we have to take a stock of our privileges. I think a lot of things that we have to do are so connected to reframing our, our mindset, our ideas, our concepts. Like there's always room to grow. And I think a lot of times, because so many things are so influenced by society, we look at people who are homeless and, you know, people, I've had people say to me, I would never give someone homeless money. They are, they're going to use it for drugs or they're all drug addicts. They're all, all these things. And it's a complete mirror to what I see, even in the wellness space. It's a complete mirror. Show me a cabinet where people aren't on drugs, whether they're doctor prescribed or sold on the streets. It's, it, so it's the reframing. No one wants to give someone a dollar but if your parents paid for your college, if they paid for your room and board, if you have an inheritance, you've been given a handout your whole life. So the reframing is, what is this idea that this demographic is more deserving than this one? I think that we have to hold accountability for why do we feel that way? Because I'm seeing a mirror, completely different outcomes. How many people, and I don't even think like handouts are bad because when someone is given a job that they're underqualified for, they can grow into to their position. There's great things that can come when someone ha- gives you a helping hand. But yet this demographic and group, we're like, no, they don't deserve any of this. Mm, I love that reframing of we all get handouts. All of I us. deal with that. I mean, full disclosure, like, I, I mean, I'm living in New York City right now and I, there's never been more homeless. And at some point it becomes really overwhelming for me. And I, I, I tend to just anchor on no, because I, I don't know what to do if I, if I just said yes to everyone. But I love that reframing of how I believe that's going to impact my life or how taking part in that is actually not out of the kindness of my heart. It's, it's the abundance that we all have already, that I've taken part in, certainly from my privilege, and that it's just an opportunity to give that abundance elsewhere. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's the thing. What if it's a test? What if it's an energetic exchange? You know, what if a lot of our, our depression, our lack of purpose and worth is connected to the fact that we're not helping anyone, that our life really isn't living in purpose other than taking life is an exchange. And that's the thing too, is every time you say no to someone, that's a form of rejection. Something as simple as a dollar or two or a granola bar. I carry granola bars in my bag. That's like a thing that I do because even if I don't always have money, which I also keep fives in my bag, but that's another thing. But if I don't have cash on me, I'll still like give someone granola bars just to say that I care. I see you like, oh my God, I don't have money today, but I have granola bars, food. May I give this to you? Mm-hmm. It's just an act of love. You and know, participating it's in that exchange. Yeah. And not letting someone leave rejected. I don't think we realize sometimes the energy that we put in our interactions and how it affects others. And I think that that's being gracious too. We have so much resistance in helping and we have to ask ourselves what is in us that keeps us from helping. Like, where is that resistance? Because then we become takers. We, no one has a problem in privilege asking, but everyone has a problem with giving. So true. And it's like this deservedness. Why do I believe? Entitlement. Yeah. Why do I believe I deserve this idea of earnership as if I've, that's completely neglecting any privilege or, or yeah, favors that have been done for me along the way. 
in not participating. Yeah, and it's a and it's a blessing. That's how I feel. Like I have access to your food. I have access to hopefully I have access to these spaces. And for me, it's like that's a blessing that I'm given a yes. Uh, that's a blessing that, but it's my responsibility to to pay it forward somewhere. Everyone should be doing that. I don't think it's a, it should be a small collective of good humans. I think it should be all humans that are aware of our responsibilities. We are responsible for each other. We are responsible for how we give and show up. I look at charity as a dirty word. I don't think it's a good human thing. I think it's our responsibility to be gracious, to show gratitude. Gratitude is not in a journal. Gratitude is how you show up in life towards everything that's created here. So true. Where do you think you got that? Like, did you grow up in a very giving neighborhood family or was that something you learned over time? I grew up with both. I grew up, my grandmother was extremely selfless and giving and helping. Oh, just like the most amazing woman ever. She was like my mother figure. I grew up in both spaces. I grew up to see when love is expressed, it's infinite. And I grew up to see when love is withheld, it's destructive. So I had seen both at the same time, depending on the person. And I realized it was so connected to the person, their beliefs and how they showed up for the world. Learned that very, very young. And it's such a powerful lesson. And when I think about, you know, I, I understand my inherent, I mean, I don't understand, but I can recognize my, some of my inherent privilege But I also, you know, I grew up on food stamps with a single mother. And so there were some hardships that I also understand. And I think about this in terms of my own children. I have a daughter that's two and another on the way. And they are growing up in more privilege than I ever had. And I, even though I remember going to the grocery store with my mother and crying because I couldn't get the expensive cereal that I wanted. We had to get the generic brand and it sounds so silly because at least I had food, but I still remember those moments and they were really big teaching moments. And I do think it's a different conversation with your children when it's, no, you can't have that because I'm setting boundaries versus no, you can't have that because we can't afford it. And what that taught me and what it taught me to just have gratitude for, for what I have now. So I don't know, how do you think about teaching people? I know you mentioned gratitude a lot and love a lot. Like how do we teach people to be grateful for things, whether it's our children or ourselves that we've kind of always had and it's hard to, to see? I think, it, again, that's all reframing work that all goes into really taking a deep look at yourself and how you're showing up for the world. It's not just inside. Like if it's just sitting here, you can have all the love in your heart. If you're not holding the door for the elderly woman behind you, don't talk to me about love. I think that every person has to find tangible ways to show up and be love, not just say it. I think love is an action. And I think that it comes from being so intricate with how you do things, intentional attentive. Those are the ways, at least for me, I, I learned that love isn't one big grand gesture. It's how I show up every day. It's the energy I'm putting in the world every single day. And it's not just spoiling your kids. That's actually, that's a whole nother topic. Totally. 
because that's enabling. Mm. There's levels of things and there's balances. And I think that it has to do with us doing it for our collective as a whole. If we can help, we have to get out of our own way. The only thing that stops us from showing up is us. So that's the accountability. People don't know how, why they're not loving or how, because you've never been. And the accountability is, well, now's the time to start. And it's how we show up. And again, I believe in, in, in giving in simple everyday ways. Yeah. Are these those micro gestures that you talk about? Yes. And yeah, in my book, I talk about micro gestures. An example of that is if I'm, if I'm at a coffee shop, the person before me or after me, like I'll buy their coffee. I don't have to know them, but you know, I'll have a quick conversation. Can I, I'd love to get your coffee. It's something so small, but that act that energy just by being that kind. I know even me, and you should know this, coming from a space of privilege, coming from a place of access, right? Privilege being access because there's levels to it. Even having access to so much, I get happy when I get a coffee bought for me or when one of our team members brings me something because it's an act of love. It has nothing to do what it is. It's the energy that's been put into that moment. And I think that's what, what we have to look at. If I see, anytime I go to a coffee shop or I'm, I'm headed into a meeting and I'm by like a deli or something and I see someone homeless because I do feel like now street family is occupying so much. So I always say, can I get you a sandwich or can I get you something? Because it's just, it, it takes nothing from me. It takes nothing. I mean, and anyone that's in a, in a position of access we lose more money than we would probably even remember by buying someone a sandwich. I know I've lost more than that. The best feeling in the world is even buying someone a sandwich. The best feeling in the world is walking by them, leaving the coffee shop and you see someone eating it so happy in a corner. Like it is the best feeling. And it's such a small tangible thing that everyone can do. Because it's like, you might not be able to solve the problems of the world, but you solve that person's problem today. And their problem right now. Yeah. You gave them one less thing to worry about. Just the comfort of who I don't have to figure out how I'm going to eat today. I don't have to figure out what's going to happen. I mean, I've had someone tell me, a guy that he lives in like a veteran home. And he, he asked me, he was like, I don't even want money from you. He's like, will you just buy me a coffee because a $5 coffee is a treat. I live off $3 a day. He's like, basically, but it was one of those situations where it was like, he didn't necessarily feel like he was deserving of that treat, but he was like, that's just really what I want. And it's like, in my mind, it was like, everyone deserves this. Everyone deserves those treats, those, those moments. It's such a small thing and it means something. And that's part of like the integrity too. It's like, people don't realize my coffee costs more than someone's entire days of food. I don't think people put that in perspective. Food stamps means $3 a day. A latte with oat milk is $6. Yeah, <laughs> like, seven, eight in the city. <laughs> exactly. I was being gracious. <laughs> wow. It's, so it's something to think about. And I love the theme that you keep pulling through, which is reframing. Because if we reframe who deserves what, and we put the new lens on of every human is just as deserving as I am of nourishment and love. And then we also put on the, the new frame or the new lens of hoarding what I've been given or what I believe I've earned really doesn't leave you happy in the end. That it's actually the gift of giving in a really authentic way that leaves us feeling much more fulfilled. Well, yes, because I feel like people will learn, especially people who are, are success-driven financially successfully driven, they'll learn you can have all the money in the world 
if your life doesn't sit in purpose, it's empty. I think purpose is the most important thing within our life. And even for me, showing up, I'm like, for me, having access to things, it makes me so excited because there's so much purpose. I know what my function is. I know I'm supposed to distribute and hand out and give and not be afraid. And I will tell you, ever since I've done that, because I know people go into that space of like business or financially and all these things, I'm not government affiliated. I don't do grants. I fund everything myself. And that's because I care that much. And I've also learned I've had more now than I've ever had. And I think it has to do with the level of all the love I've given returning back to me. Mm. And it's this crazy cycle. And it's, it's also what I love that you're saying is sometimes it can feel really intimidating to know how to give back in any meaningful way. And I feel like what you're saying is, yes, there are places to donate, sure, but what I hear you saying is that you're probably presented with ways to give back every single day and you don't even notice them because I can tell you that I have my walls up in New York city right now. And like, I just say, no, sorry, no, sorry. And that's like the universe presenting me with, Hey, you wanted to give back. Here's an opportunity. But I have this like fear or narrative that's with me. That's really at the end of the day, not serving me. And I'm giving up these opportunities to give back in a much more meaningful way than like writing, not that, you know, writing a check to organizations to like support what you're doing, et cetera. That all matters, of course. But what I love that you're saying is that there are daily moments where we are, we have opportunities and are tested. And if we can lean into those, that's really the fulfilling part. A hundred percent, because I do believe obviously for organizations, money is required, but I can't say most organizations are doing the work. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I know you're, you're a big proponent of supporting more grassroots. Yes, uh, I only support grassroots. I don't support any government-funded programs because our infrastructure came from government blueprints. Mm-hmm. So I can't donate to the place our problems have originated from. So I don't personally. I like working with people. I like working with people who care and want to help their communities. I do believe there's a bigger impact there because these are people working directly with the community. So even with me, like I think what's really refreshing is our sponsors, our supporters, they can come to our bodega and see we're not feeding kids you can't see. We're feeding the people in our community. You can see them with Love Without Reason bags. You can see them. You're not going to go to any other nonprofit and find an arugula fig salad (laughs) in a corner for someone who's experiencing homelessness. So I just feel like that direct impact is something you can see. And a lot of times you can see it in grassroots organizations because they're working directly with the community. It's far removed. I think it's important we do the work. I do the work. I was out there on Sunday cooking and helping. And and I think it's important because I never want to get far removed from what our mission is and problems we are aiming to solve. And there's also like on the other side of, you know, the side of people that have the opportunity to donate. It's like you, there's a face to where your money's going. It's your face. And Mm -hmm. that means that I can trust it that much more because I I get to hold you accountable. I make all of our partners come volunteer. Oh, cool. All CEOs, they all have to come. No, I make them all Next come. Next time because I'm I in LA, I'm down. Oh my God, yes. And I think that's important for me because it's like, if I'm bridging the gap, I've already facilitated a safe space to do this work, but it's like, no, come see because it changes all of us. 
it's easy to get far removed from life or to sit in your bubble. It's so easy. So a lot of times I challenge our CEOs, I challenge our partners, everyone has to come. Like I make everyone come because there's something that can be done. There's always something. And I show them like different ways and how this impact is huge by helping. But then when you see it, it's a different thing. We've done a lot of, oh, we did this really cool back to school event with BuzzFeed. They're one of our partners and we made their team come out. And from that moment, the impact or understanding changed because they understood why we were doing the extra work. They understood why we were advocating for the people because it's one thing to hear it and see a picture. It's another thing for the person to come up to you, hug you and say, thank you so much. Like what you're doing means something. Then there's no, there's no question about what you're doing. When you see someone telling you like this matters or someone excited about the food, like, oh my God, this is the best food ever. Like just how happy people get, you know how it is with food, but bringing this like incredible food to a community and they're like people that are shocked that have never had that, that type of exposure. I'm pretty sure you can remember like the time, like when you first started your journey and just the, the change it made on how you eat or how you viewed food, that exposure is a gift. That's another act of love. Just exposing people to better, to want better for their life. For sure. It's all part of that nourishment package that mm-hmm. rather than just, yeah, it's not just sending leftovers. It's it's part of this whole package of like, you deserve. You mm-hmm. deserve exactly what I have. And I've noticed you a few times use the term people experiencing homelessness rather than homeless people. Can you touch on that distinction and why you believe it's important? Because I think that there's such a separation between housed and homeless community. They're people in a circumstance. But to just identify them as their circumstance is like, I just feel like it's just really far removed from our humanity. They're experiencing it, you know? It's the same with with dealing with um, people with mental health issues or addictions. They're people experiencing something, but it's a person. It's a, it's a brother. It's a sister. It's a family member. It's a mom. Like, I think that we really do have to reframe because that, that helps us change how we view things because how we're experiencing is how we view it. Totally. And it's not so defining. It's what they're experiencing. It's not who they are. No, there's so many other parts of that. Yeah. It's, and, you know? and it's so true what you said about, I mean, it's certainly true within, you know, the group of people who are experiencing homelessness, but it, it's true in so much of our language, even around eating disorders. And it's like, I am anorexic or I am bulimic. It's like, that is so self-defining and it's actually not who you are. It's what you said. It's what you're experiencing and delineating and and knowing that distinction is so powerful. 100%. So we try and tell everyone they're, you know, street family. That's just kind of what we call everyone. That gives everyone an idea of like, okay, this is our family that's experiencing homelessness right now. So one thing I'd love to touch on is wellness is, has become something that, uh, I don't know how it happened, but is supposed to be something for the wealthy. And I think that's might be the intent and, and circumstance for some companies, but knowing a lot of founders in this space, I know that certainly is not the intention. What do you think that we can do better as an industry to be more centered around the whole instead of the few? I think 
the first thing that has to happen is for the wellness industry to collaborate with grassroots organizations because those are two different groups. Depending on the person, obviously I know with ours, I'm biased within what we do, but we're a bridge in that space. We're in both ends. We're in the wellness space and we're in that. That's how it changes. 90% of the wellness industry is never going to go and just walk skid row and make friends. But you have to find gaps and bridges. And I think that it's not about commercializing. I think where people get it wrong is they decide to commercialize. A billboard doesn't mean it's accessible. It just means it's visible. It means we're window shopping. An entire community is window shopping. So I think that in the wellness space, we have to reframe commercialization to accessibility. Accessibility means it needs to get into the hands of the people who need it most because we have to look at, it is fantastic that we've come together and there's this industry and we're all focused on doing higher work. But if it's only 1% of us, we're not, make, we're not scratching the surface. We have to put our energy towards getting that 1% percent in the same mind frame to help the 90%. Because the beautiful part is the wellness industry could change everything. But they just with access, resources, financially, just what we've been able to do financially on our own, just as people. So I think that if we get on one accord and our mission gets pushed towards accessibility, then we can change things on a person-to-person industry level. I think that's what makes it so great is there is integrity connected to the wellness space. Mm -hmm. People want to do good, but there has to be a model and blueprint to do that because it's just an idea. It's not a working model. And that comes from, if you're in the wellness space, you don't need to create an organization. There's people like us already doing the work, but you have to be mindful enough to not write a government check to the person that doesn't even need your money that's just sitting in all these accounts and write it to organizations are saying, let's create an event. Let's do this. Let's, or what are your guys' existing programs? How can we financially support them? What does that look like? That makes a huge difference because we, they want to do great. I see that all the time. It's like find what you want to help solve and then find the bridge to get you there. Like you don't have to go solve it. You just have to find the bridge that can help you. Mm -hmm. I love that. Obviously, there are spaces that empowerment, creating more ways to make it accessible, but we have to give our gifts. That's the most important part. When I was getting chefs from like Top Chef and all these like reality shows and all these like really amazing chefs, I was like, wouldn't it be a gift for you to give to people who could, will never be able to afford what you have to offer? That is what a gift. Something that doesn't require much from you because it comes natural to you. And all these people get to experience something that they would never Those are the things that I explain to people. If this is your gift, then why aren't you giving it? Well, I'm so grateful we get to support you in LA. And one thing I forgot to ask you to kind of dive a little deeper on this. And I was asking about speaking to the misconceptions around this demographic. I I read in some of your interviews that I thought was so powerful. Like they don't see that 50% of foster kids become homeless. Can you just speak a little bit to, there was like a whole list of, of things like veterans after, you know, coming out of war, et cetera, et cetera. Can you just speak to, to some of that? Because it was so eye-opening. 
Yes. I think when we think about the homeless community, we have to think about where the root problem comes from. Like, where are these numbers becoming so high? Why is this happening? You don't just wake up homeless. And I don't think a lot of people take into consideration. A lot of us have grown up with families. Some people adopted, but foster kids, 50% of them become homeless within six months of aging out the system at 18. So our biggest issue is foster kids, 50% within six months. So I don't think anyone takes into consideration an 18 year old child because people always say like, oh, a lot of times I hear there's like three things. You hear people either want to care about kids, homeless or animals. Like they separate them and not looking at it as life, right? And I say, you care about kids. I know that man 60, that was the kid you guys forgot about. A lot of times, you know, time isn't on your side and even just, just experiencing that a lot of the kids look older than they are because of just what they're experiencing. And a lot of people don't realize a lot of them are foster kids. People always say, where are their families? It's a privilege to even be born in a family. Like a lot of people don't know their parents. These foster kids, there's no foundation. And that's important too. You know, we're so community-based. Like a sense of belonging is such a human, innate thing. And to come, like come into this world with no foundation. And then no assistance to help. You're literally telling 18-year-old kids with no guidance, no help that have been neglected, less than 3% of foster kids go to college. And I'm not saying college means you're educated. What I'm saying is the level of neglect, 97% never even get the opportunity. Not because they aren't smart, but because they're neglected. A huge percent of, of them are just illiterate. I have so many people in the community that are elderly now that never learned how to read. They were neglected to the point where they didn't even learn how to read. And again, this isn't a level of intellect. This has to do with literally our, the infrastructure of our systems, not making sure everyone is supported. If you don't have family, you really have a slim to none chance of making it. That's the handout too. Being 18, having that guidance. If most people think about who they were at 18, imagine growing up from like five to 18 with no guidance no help and neglect, and then being told you're on your own to figure it out. It's so heartbreaking. 50% of kids, no family, no structure, no idea or concept of how to even navigate in the world. And you learn it in a space where homelessness is looked at as one thing. And it's so many different types of people. You've got domestic violence. That's a whole nother thing. You have sex trafficking. You have all these different spaces that lead you to homelessness, but we decide that everyone's the same thing. We decide that someone that's been early released out of incarceration is in the same category as a single mother with one child that left a domestic violence situation that's now homeless because she has no support. So there's all these different ways to become homeless in this community. And we decide that they're all the same thing. Mm. And that's a big issue because we clump everyone together. Then we decide, what do we do? We take the, the statistic of, oh, they must all be drug addicts. Oh, they must all be this thing. And we decide that foster kid doesn't deserve a chance because they might be this. And we don't even know. And it's also like, we don't even know, but also like drug addicts deserve <laughs> just as much as, you know, the mother that left an abusive household. Like it's all to your point of this unconditional love and leaning into that. Yeah. And it's, it just becomes this thing. And it's, it's one of those, I always say it's reframing because more times than not, 
I have people say to me, but how can you feed drug addicts? How can you do this? And I'm just like, (laughs) that's not even the reason. So they should starve to death. I don't get it. Like it's just apples and oranges to me, but it's, it's the reframing because majority of people have that thought because I have, I hear that more than people saying, Oh, I want to go do this and help. I hear more of all the defenses as to why they can't or they won't, or it's too much and it's overwhelming. So I won't even look. And I'm like, that's privilege to even be able to look away from someone's disparity is that is a privileged space to be in. Imagine experience that you can't even look at it. Right. (laughs) Like imagine living in it, walking in it. So that's, that's the reframing I always say is like, this changes when we decide to change, when we decide to look at what love looks like for us and how we're going to show up and contribute to it. How we're contributing to love or the lack of. There's nothing in between that. Yeah, it's just, it's making me so emotional, obviously. I mean, this is all so touching and thank you for the reframe because it's changing my walk to work and walk home every single day. No, really, thank you. And one of my biggest lessons as a mother has been, it's this practice in unconditional love. Like, <laughs> I mean, I there's nothing that you won't give your child. And the practice, I believe is then if we're blessed with the opportunity to love our child unconditionally, can we learn to love every human just as much as we love our children? Like I do believe that that is the ultimate practice of anyone that decides to become a mother, that it is this, this opportunity to reframe, to put a new lens on because you're given this glimpse into what it means to live in unconditional love and how much you get back. Like it's just overwhelming. Like there's nothing I wouldn't give her, even if I got nothing back. But what I get back is just so overwhelmingly beautiful. And I think witnessing that algorithm, it's like, can we shift that algorithm to every moment in life, every interaction? Well, yeah, I think that when you, when you, even when you see your child, if you think of anything, you think of every time you see someone experiencing homelessness, that's someone's child. Like someone gave birth to them, whether they had the opportunity or means to love them or take care of them. But even being in that space, I always, to me, that's, I think that's the first thing I think about is that is someone's kid. Mm -hmm. Like I I remember one of my favorite uh, kids that's on Skid Row. He, his mother had passed away when he was 15. She was a single mom. He had nowhere to go. So he ended up going to Skid Row. And one day he said to me, my mother would turn over in a grave if she knew how the world treated me. And when he said that to me, it made me think about mothers. We don't know how long any of us are here, but you have to think about how would you want people to treat your child if you were absent? You know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, And we can't say what our kids will go through. We can't say whether they struggle with addiction or pain or lack of love or just anything in life because everyone has a different battle, but the idea that we can be gracious to people because you think about that. You always think about that. And I think about that with him where I'm like, his mother can't even do anything. His mother can't save him. And it's kind of the world's responsibility to be that. Yeah. Well, in my tears, I think it's a good time to ask you about light work. I feel like you gave us so much light work today. I have a lot of work to do, but I'm still excited to hear kind of like what what is it that we can all do to shine our, our lights brighter? And what's the work that you want to give us? I would say the first thing we do is start to look at love as the small things. 
being so focused on that and grounded in that. If it's $5 in your wallet, if it's granola bars or waters in your car, granola bars in your purse, thinking of one kind act that you could do even weekly. And if you see someone just being kind enough to them to say hello, something as simple as occupying any space, us seeing each other, because it starts there. We can't solve anything that we don't understand, but if we can't even see each other, if certain people are invisible to us, then we have a long way to go. So I think that it starts with looking at love as the small things, not the end result, but how we can contribute energetically and kindness and love and grace. And again, we will be rejected. All of us are. I deal with that a lot. (laughs) And I learned that a lot of times when people reject love, it's because it's foreign to them. No one's been that to them. So a lot of times you have to look at that part that when someone rejects love, they don't even understand what's happening. So they run from it and, and to don't be discouraged. If you have an interaction, if you do something and it doesn't go as you planned, don't have an expectation, just do your part mm. every time. And that I definitely believe that creates a shift on its own internally. The more you practice that. So good. Thank you so much for, Thank you. for just being you and your gifts that you're giving, not just the community that you serve, but all of us. So grateful for your work. Thank you so much. I'm just, yeah. Oof, yeah, you got me. I can feel you. (laughs) I can feel your little heart. (laughs) I had to hold back tears so many times. It's so moving. It's so moving. And thank you for the reminder of humanity. It's not my part to turn away. That's the privilege speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I do think we're going to get there. I can already see things changing in the best way. Yeah. Do you think that um, the pandemic has had it, like, has it cracked people's hearts open anymore? It's been the biggest blessing. I don't think people realize. Really? I think because it has shown us that we've distracted our lives with things because the world had paused. (laughs) Right. And I think that that's so important because it helps us break up. A lot of things we do are so mechanical, so robotic, where we do things without even thinking. And I think that this has allowed us to be more intentional and to also recognize how fragile life is and how the things that we do to take stock on isn't important. With the way life is fragile and uncertain, is that the job you want? Are you living in your purpose? Are you spending time with your family? Are you being present with your kids? Now everyone has their kid at home. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it also, to your point, I think it, puts a magnifying glass on like, are you fulfilled or have you just been keeping busy with the things that give you temporary happiness, but not lasting fulfillment? Yeah. And it's also the temporary happiness and distractions. A lot of us think that busy means progress and they're not always the same thing. (laughs) Barely. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that that to me, that's the blessing. I think that that's the light of it. I, think, I don't think that much happens without real reason because I do think the universe is self-organizing. So to me, it's difficult. But the first thing I thought was, wow, we're all being put in timeout. <laughs> like, <laughs> We've been back. That's, that's how I felt. I felt like humanity was put into timeout so we could really start to rewrite something. Think about and what we've done. Literally, yeah. because it just, seems like, it just seems like we needed to take a pause. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult and there's a lot going on, but I don't know of a time there hasn't been. I don't know of any time that humanity has to 
define itself or progress forward or change, it's been through hardships. It's never been through easy times. And so I think that now, yes, it's a challenging time, but it's also challenging when you're not living in your purpose and you're not walking in intention and you're not being as loving as you can be or you're taking things for granted. So I think it needs, I mean, something as simple as human connection. It's like no one wanted to interact. Everyone wanted to stay online. Then all of a sudden that, that option is taken away. And now everyone's like, I just want to walk to a coffee shop and look at people. I mean, that's the beauty of New York <laughs> City, right? Is like you get mm-hmm. that interaction all mm-hmm. the time. And to your point, I also get the opportunity to witness people in different circumstances than myself and mm-hmm. play a bigger role. Like I get faced 100%. with that every single day. It's not like yeah. it's every once in a while. It's it's usually several times a day. And seeing that 100%. is such a blessing rather than uh-huh. something else. I 100% agree with you. But no, it's been difficult. I'm not saying I wanted the pandemic to happen, but I do believe for some reason I'm seeing the best out of people. Mm. Even when people were breaking down and the fear was overwhelming, sometimes we need to see where we're at. Yeah, self Sometimes we need... Yeah, sometimes you need like that needs to come up so it can be addressed. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's I think all of it's important. And again, I think that we're going to grow from it. I do believe we're going to be better. I'm with you. And for me, I mean, it was a hard year, and I felt like I took some hits. But I mean, I'm better for it. I survived. Yeah. If nothing else, I survived. Absolutely. Well, if there's any way I can support you here in the city, or if there's anything. I can do, let me know. I know we're still doing meals, but if there's anywhere for me to show up or anything else, please keep me in mind. I'm, I would so love to support you and, and your mission and your heart. It's so moving. Thank you. I'm excited. I'm definitely excited to, to bring this back to New York. So it's, it's going to be great. Well, thank you so <laughs> much. I really, really appreciate your time. And yeah, let's please stay in touch and connected and let me know when, you, when you're over here. I will. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, well. And thank you for sharing your community with us. Yeah, of course. Ditto. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. I wanted to take a moment and share this incredible Saqqara story. Here at Saqqara, we not only support Lunch on Me and other initiatives, to help those that maybe don't have access to clean, organic, healthy meals. We also have a program where we invite people to apply to receive meals and tell us your story and how our meals will support you. Uh, I wish we could choose everyone, but we do choose thousands of people and so many of their stories are moving. So here is Samantha's story. Sakara was a life-changing experience, to say the least. I believe great things come when you need them the most. I've suffered from rheumatoid arthritis since I was very young. With over 20 years of medication and diet change, etc., I found myself on my 24th year struggling with some of the most difficult and intense daily flare-ups and sickness, relying on others for help since I could barely do things on my own. The Sakara program helped me reduce inflammation, improve my sleep and quality of sleep, my need and cravings for caffeine, regain energy, and pain-related lethargy, reduced my stubborn belly fat, and got me to this amazing place of independence. I was happier, relatively pain-free, and recovered from sickness in record time. Thank you so much, Samantha, for sharing your story. 
Thank you for being on this journey with us and allowing us to be a part of that abundance that Lorea spoke to today. I love that we had the opportunity to give to you and that it had a huge impact on your life. And thank you for giving back to us and reminding us the power of food as medicine. We wish you nothing but health and happiness. If you have a Sakara story that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at sakarastories at sakaralife.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at sakaralife.com or send us a DM at sakaralife. Don't forget to hit subscribe for the Sakara Life podcast and share this episode with anyone you think needs to hear what we talked about today. And don't forget about the light work. It might feel a little hard, a little uncomfortable, but it's supposed to. The whole idea is that we lean into what's uncomfortable so we all get to shine our lights a little brighter. And we'll see you on the other side, Sakara Lights. Lights.